good morning slash afternoon. My name is RJ. Welcome to the IWS podcast. I'm happy to have Rebecca here. How are you doing, Rebecca? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for being with us. I know the time difference was a little bit of a issue initially, but I'm glad we got to figure it figured out. There's a what a five hour gap between us, but I'm glad we were able to find the time to connect. Obviously, today is really going to be discussing some things about you, really learning about you, a lot of your lived experiences that you have shared so far in your life. And I'm hoping that's going to be able to connect to people who may have had some similar experiences in their life being a mental health platform. The purpose is to increase transparency and visibility, particularly for people of color and largely for men. But a lot of us love women and we want to engage in relationships. So it's good to understand the other side of how our decisions might impact others. And so I'm hoping that we can learn a lot from you. Obviously, this is our first conversation. So my my ears are wide open to learn as much as I possibly can about you. So again, thank you for being here. I do want to start by first, just I always like to understand better the person's background in terms of their upbringing when they grew up, what was their family dynamic like and their living environment. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit about what that experience was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like how long have you got? But <laughs> absolutely. As much as as much as we want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh I came from a very financially privileged upbringing. Um but also very emotionally neglectful upbringing, uh very traumatic. I was sexually abused, um physically abused. I was left on my own to bring myself up in a very expensive house, but um mm. by myself as a teenager was quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, sort of something out of a story really and a lot of troubling things happened I got depression, I got severe anorexia um, my best friend died of cancer I was sort of had a um, a paedophile trying to uh, groom me when I was seven like there was a lot of things that wow. happened that made life very challenging for me growing up um, so they were kind of my dark years growing up was not an enjoyable experience for me um, and alongside that I have PCOS, endometriosis, um, a couple of chronic illnesses as well that affect me physically, as well as sort of the mental combinations of mm-hmm. um, what trauma can do. I experienced a lot of close deaths, um, sort of past teen years as well, in my early 20s. So it's been a ride. It's been a bit of a journey, but uh, I've got out of it, the other side, which is really nice. So yeah. That was a very brief little run through. I'm quite no, proud it is. Of that. <laughs> no, it is. I'm definitely going to want to want to understand more for sure. I mean, you definitely hit on a few topics. I'm going to try to relate some of what you shared because I'm always very open about my lived experience too. And I think this is an important moment I want to point out really quick because you said that you grew up from a very financially privileged background, mm-hmm. but then you just listed off these other things that were going on behind the scenes. I think it's important to always acknowledge that things aren't what they appear to be. Mm-hmm. So we look at situations or we look at people and we assume that, you know, things must be great because of however this exterior presents. Yeah. But that's not necessarily true when you peel back the layers and understand the more intricate details, you know, of what people go through. And I say that because I can relate to a certain degree to what you said in terms of maybe the living environment, you were talking about abuse. So mm-hmm. for me, it was a lot of physical abuse and emotional neglect. I grew up primarily with my father. Um, My mother passed away from cancer when I was very young. So it's me, my sister, and my dad. But I can imagine how you must have felt to a certain degree in terms of people might not foresee or necessarily agree with what your lived experiences may be. 
because mm-hmm. from the outside, it's like, how could that be possible? Things are, things look lovely from the outside. How could you possibly be having these terrible experiences on the inside? How could you be being mistreated or not being uh, catered to or being emotionally available to your child? You know, if this is your, your father, or your mother, we're talking about. I think it's important to acknowledge that because a lot of times we just make very quick judgments, which I understand they have their place in our life. However, the purpose of having this conversation is to learn to go deeper, to learn to really look behind the scenes to understand why we are the way that we are. And a Mm -hmm. lot of it is shaped by the experiences that we have when we're young, to your point. So if you can start by sort of telling me like who was in your home when you were growing up? Um, so in the early years, primarily my dad, my mum was away on work. So I was put in nursery from two weeks old. If anybody's familiar with um, child psychology, that's not mm. ideal for the brain's development, um, not having maternal caregiver at that stage in life. Yeah. So it uh, kind of explains a lot why I struggled with attachment growing up and I struggled with um, forming bonds with people in general. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot linked to my brain development, I think, from from that part of my life. And then post age 11, 12, I think, uh, a lot of stuff happened with my dad and I decided I couldn't do that anymore. My mum had a house in a town near me, which I then moved to. And uh, she was there for a little while and then ended up going back to work again. And I was sort of on my own with my younger sister who became very unwell as a mm. result of sort of not having a grown up and I was the grown up and I wasn't very good at being grown up. I was 13. It wasn't my strong suit. Of course. <laughs> so she ended up growing up in hospital um, psychiatric hospital. And uh, then there was just me and my mum's partner at the time who worked nights. So I'd come home from school be on my own wake up be on my own sort of thing so although there was an adult present in the house I wasn't getting the emotional support or even physical you know having to you know cook your own food and make your own way to school and back and iron your own clothes and everything from 13 up it's quite a lot to deal with Um, and although we'd see them all on occasions we'd have them you know at weekends sometimes they'd be there um, my mum would be there as and um, we'd play families I think we'd play families if we saw her on her phone <laughs> thing. she was very much into work and um, I think had had a rough life herself and sure. really struggled with connection I think so yeah it was a very interesting dynamic I had quite an unusual um, upbringing and I was sort of my own my main character my main support for a lot of it which isn't always ideal when you're trying to figure out how to do the world so no no not not at all and (laughs) it's interesting when I listen to you say that um what comes up for me when you're sharing that I think about my older sister she's four and a half years older than me I'm 35 by the way and um when my mom passed she really tried to step up and sort of it was me my her and my father so she tried to sort of be in that maternal role but to your point about what you're saying you know you're not really equipped to, to be anybody's adult even adult to yourself because you don't know what you don't know Mm -hmm. but it's interesting sometimes when we get forced into these situations to sort of you know react and respond and I think so much about when we don't have those parental figures that are present so sometimes when I talk to men for example a lot of us are used to being in the traditional role of provider yeah 
So I go, I work, I make sure that we're stable financially, but in terms of an emotional availability, we're typically not. And usually because of that, it tends to be passed on to the next generation, i.e. me. And I actually have a son. I have an 11-year-old son. So if I didn't do what I'm supposed to be doing, then he would then learn the same thing from me. And then he would continue to pass on that cycle if he doesn't learn to do better. Yeah. I say all that because sometimes we're not aware when we're on the child side of how those experiences shape our reality, shape our perception. Even when you mentioned about attachment issues, I would agree. That totally makes sense. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, if we don't get to bond with the, the first two people that we ever meet, if we don't bond with them and they made us, it's going to be immensely harder to commit and bond with anybody else, right? Because they're the first two people we're supposed to. Yeah. Right? Because as far as we know, they wanted us to be here. So when that doesn't happen, it can be way difficult when it's time to have romantic relationships or even friendships with anybody else because we might be always sort of questioning people's genuineness, their sincerity, trustworthiness, their integrity, all these different factors, because we didn't develop that security very early on. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like from what you're sharing so far, maybe because mom was very busy with work. And then with father, we haven't really touched on yet, but maybe because there was an inappropriate relationship, mm-hmm. maybe with him, that it can it can cloud our judgment, make it very difficult to to deal with other people as we get older. Is yeah. That, would, would you say that that was some part of your lived experience? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's taken a long time and a lot of therapy for me to get to a point where it all makes sense and I can yeah. function. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think it's, it's very important. And I'm glad that you mentioned that to, to recognize how those have, may have impacted the way that we see the world and the way that we see other people. And um, if you don't mind, I'm sort of going out of order, but I like the <laughs> way this is flowing right now how long have you been in therapy and what did you like what did you initially go for uh so I've been in therapy since I was nine um so a long time (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have breaks in my adult life now because I can cope a lot better and financially it's not as available for me now um uh but I also try alternative therapies now so I initially started based off of my sexual trauma as a child there was a pedophile that um who was our builder who worked Mm. in the house for many years and I was just a child so I was obviously easy prey Mm. um and didn't know what was wrong and what was right and just wanted to please everybody because I wasn't getting the attention from anybody else so I had therapy from then onwards um on and off and I it was mainly sort of talking therapy I've had CBT, talking therapy, psychotherapy works really well for me. Although I would say because I've had so long doing it, I've sort of, I don't know, completed the course, I guess, I feel, (laughs) of therapy. So I now do holistic therapy, which goes along the lines of acupuncture, craniosacral Mm. therapy, um, more sort of spiritually stuff, where we can get to a a bit of a, it's just a different angle which works better for me now um which yeah. won't have worked back then but it works right for me now and it's about with me really flowing and listening to what works for me at the time yeah no that definitely makes sense i mean if you've been in for that long i'm sure you've had enough experiences now to sort of understand like you said cope better learning maybe how to reframe situations how you're interpreting or processing different lived experiences that you're having or people that may or may not be in your life and, and what roles they have played. I, I'm glad you brought that up 
because a lot of my audience and people that I work with um, professionally typically are first timers. So mm-hmm. they have a lot or they've had an experience, but it was a really long time ago. Maybe when it was like me, I had it when I was very young as a child and maybe we haven't really touched it since then. So I'd like to clarify how that may look for a person to your mm-hmm. point. So a person may be in therapy off and on over the years, depending on situations that they may be dealing with, that they may feel overwhelmed by, or they're not really sure how to address it. Or maybe their present set of coping skills are no longer enough to help them deal with and manage all the different stressors that they're dealing with at the time. However, to contrast that with what you said, if you've been in for that long, you've learned and I'm sure gathered lots of information and experience and knowledge and hopefully skills, you're in a position where you're probably largely able to do a lot of that on your own because therapy mm-hmm. does not have to be forever. I'll say that again. Therapy does not have to be forever. However, the point is to learn what you need to learn to do the work that you need to do so that way you can function better for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Hopefully your therapist or who, however many you've had have said that to you over the years. You, you don't want to always have to be there. Yeah. But it's available to you when you need it. Absolutely. It's always supposed to be a good resource. So I think that's important to make that distinguish because some people, you know, they think that I have to do it forever, like a medication, so to speak. So I'm glad that you mentioned that now. And I, and I want to, of course, validate what you shared about being abused sexually, because that's a very big deal, especially to be so young and have to deal with that. And again, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. So you said this was somebody that was in your home. So not necessarily a family member, somebody who was being contracted to do work in your your childhood home? Yes. Yes. Did that situation get resolved in terms of the perpetrator being legally dealt with or were they still able to, you know, still walk around? Uh, It was quite complicated in terms of uh, we had social services involved about putting us into care because Mm. of my family's relationship with this individual. So it all got a bit messy and complicated and a lot of my and my sister's relationship with my parents has been quite conflicted as a result of that. It's a lot Mm. to do with, you know, being believed and being listened to when you're that young is is challenging. Yes. Um, So he didn't go back to jail. He'd only come out of jail fairly recently previous to that for actually killing somebody and raping somebody. So um, he was a bit of a risk to have in the home, but these things aren't checked. You know, you don't get a builder and say, well, let's DBS check you. It's just not, not DBS is like a security check of children um, or elderly people here. Um, It's, it's just not something that's done at the moment, which probably should be. So that's that situation. Um, He's, as far as I know, out in the world, it's not something I've ever really gone into past that. And I think for me personally, I was in a massive amount of denial up really until a couple of years ago about what actually happened because yeah. a lot of what was right and wrong was really clouded in my head. Sure. So it was complicated, but yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I'm glad that the situation somewhat got dealt with. I agree with you. Um, Sometimes we're not doing our, maybe our security checks the way that we should, um, not to pivot really too much, but your story sort of reminds me of this story. I'm located in Orlando, Florida. So there was a story here about a year ago about a young woman who was actually kidnapped and murdered in her uh, apartment and it was by a maintenance worker. And mm. the, the reason why that was troubling and the reason why I'm bringing it up is because that person also hadn't been screened apparently, and they have obviously access to your home 
Yeah. And so if you're, you know, a young woman who doesn't have anybody to necessarily protect her uh, immediately, then that can pose significant risk. And so to your point, I think that there should be much more thorough background checks of anybody who has access to somebody's home. If you talk about a builder, same thing, obviously they can probably go anywhere that they want to, I could imagine. And so, you know, taking sort of provisionary security steps, I think is very important because thinking about the outcome, I'm very big on focused on outcomes. Yeah. What you're sharing, I, I will admit, I haven't had to deal with as much with clients. I've had some that have definitely gone through some of these experiences, but mm-hmm. usually has been familial relationships. It's people yeah. that are close to you. And I'm not saying this person wasn't close, but this was not an actual biological, uh, line- somebody you had biological lineage to. Mm-hmm. This was just somebody who had, a, it sounds like a very close relationship with your family, working relationship with your family. But regardless, it play it can play a very insidious role in how we again try choose to form relationships with people as we get older. So we already talked about earlier that relationship with father wasn't necessarily strong or that great. Relationship with mom wasn't necessarily that great because she was working all the time. And then this person is sort of fulfilling a filling in a void, if you will, yeah, of of attention. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And I think that it's important to also for us to understand that. Like again, I'm a father, so. I would not want my son to think like, if I'm not paying attention to him, what can happen is I create that space. Somebody else could, somebody else could come in and yeah. try to fulfill that need. But then the problem is, as a child, you don't really know what that is. Yeah. You don't even yeah. know what you're looking for. All you know is, I wish, you know, my dad would talk to me or I wish yeah. my mom would spend time with me. I wish we would maybe sit down and have a meal. That would be awesome. But we don't have that. So it's very difficult to understand what I'm looking for. And then somebody may come in and try to provide that to you. And then you start to feel better, but you don't realize maybe there's other things. There's other side effects and unintended consequences that might occur. So that to me is important to understand the full context of why having that stronger type of familial relationship, those initial ones with the parents is really, really important. Mm. Um, Is there anything else that you think we should know from that experience that you had of not just what happened, but how you've been able to grow from it up until this point? Yeah, I mean, I was unfortunately then sexually abused in my teen years as well, multiple wow. times by teachers, by um, somebody just random on a night mm. out. Um, it wasn't something that ever stopped for me. It was just okay. something pretty, I've just had to deal with it, unfortunately. Okay. Um, my relationship with sex has been very complicated as a result um not in the way that you'd think i've been more hypersexual than i have been uh, under sexual if that's, okay. that's the right word um and in, a, in an unhealthy way you know and i put myself into dangerous situations to fulfill that because sure. then it goes back to then that initial need i'm fulfilling my needs if i provide sex for somebody because that's what i was taught at seven or five, right. five seven you know that's what i was taught to do so therefore i'll be happy if i you know do this so oh yes it has yeah. implications but you know i am um, it's a it, with things with trauma it's constant healing it's constantly working on things it's constantly being aware of things and yeah. you know having the privilege to speak to somebody to to help me heal and speak to psychologists and therapists and things to get me through that kind of stuff yeah absolutely man and, and it's i sighed for a moment because 
when you were sharing that, that the statistic was popping into my head about the likelihood if you've been sexually assaulted once, that it's more than likely going to happen again in your lifetime. And you said numerous times. So, mm -hmm. you know, you fulfill that statistic. And it, it saddened me because of what you were mentioning that it, it, it very much can warp your view of sex, relationships, intimacy, love. And I talk a lot about that again, going back to our environment, what we experienced growing up. Yeah. This is by no means, and no means a one for one parallel. But I struggled, for example, for a long time to decouple and disassociate uh, abuse with love, physical abuse, mm -hmm. particularly with love, because that's what I experienced when I grew up with my father. And yeah. it's not until somebody challenges your thinking or challenges your belief system that you are forced to really confront those issues. Yeah. Right? So then you're you're mentioning how you've had multiple instances where these types of situations have occurred in your life. And then you mentioned how it also has made it very difficult for you to um, sort of have other relationships with people that are in a healthier manner. And mm -hmm. then you add in the added complexity of feeling hypersexualized because yeah. you learn very young, maybe in your mind, I don't know if you would say it in this way. Maybe you learn very young to put those two together, that sex equal love. So then let me go yeah. get more of it. So that way I feel fulfilled in the yeah. way that I wanted to get from my mother and my father that I didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. okay. And that's a perfect example. And I really appreciate you for sharing that because we often don't connect those dots. Mm. We don't recognize like, oh, I'm, I'm demonstrating very promiscuous behavior because I'm trying to fulfill this hole that I have in my heart that I really wish that my mother and father would have been there for me more. Yeah. But I yeah. don't know how to put that into words. I don't know how to express that verbally. Yeah. But but if you took a step back and, I, and obviously you've done really good work because you're able to express it very clearly now, it's hard to be able to say that and recognize my actions are not best serving me, but they're serving this need that I think that I need, Yeah. Um, but I'm not going about it in the best way. Or maybe yeah. even the safest way, because I heard you mention that I put myself in some risky situations to fulfill this. Yeah. Right. So when we consider all of that, again, thinking about the outcome, would you say for yourself today, do you think you're in a better position now that if and when you are ready, I don't know your current relationship status, if you are ready, that you would be ready to engage with somebody in that way? Or do you still think you have a lot more work that you need to do? I think it's a combination of the two. I'm in a very healthy relationship for the first time in my life. Um, but it doesn't mean that it isn't an issue. But sure. what I what is massively improved is that I can communicate it. I can say, listen, I'm having a problem with this right now. Um, we need to take a step back whilst I calm down or we need to try and find a way through this or compromise mm -hmm. in order for me to find a nice, stable place for me to approach this from um, mm -hmm. rather than, you know, being sexual because I think I should rather than being sexual because I want to mm -hmm. um, so the difference is that I can communicate that now and Good. that makes all the difference in everything I think no absolutely and I like the way you you tried to show that discrepancy of should versus need yeah so I might be doing that because maybe I think I'm supposed to please you in this particular way so I'm not doing it truly because I desire it I'm just doing it because I want to satisfy you yeah but maybe some part of that might be a residual effect from what I experienced when I was younger. Yeah. Versus now I'm like, no, I want to engage because I, I choose to, or yeah. we choose to together. Right. So there's, there's consent, number one. And number yeah. two, there's a, there's a mutual desire on both sides. 
So that's very important. And I'm, I am happy that you said you're in your first healthy relationship, because I think it's important, obviously, not only to go through all the therapy and learn all the skills, but then obviously you have to put them to practice because we want to lead more fulfilling lives. Yeah. That's ultimately the goal, right? It's I got to deal with the stuff that I didn't ask for, the stuff that may have been done to me, and maybe sometimes the things that I did to myself, but depending on yeah. the choices that I made. But I want to lead a more fulfilling life. I want to find more joy and happiness and peace and prosperity, hopefully, as I move forward in my later years, which is why we make the effort to do all the work as early as possible. Hmm. Right. Which is why I think it's very good that you have mentioned that you've done all this stuff, because I don't think you could be in your relationship right now had you not. Absolutely. Maybe you would agree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so going back to the family for a moment, you mentioned you have a sister. Is it a yes. younger sister? Younger, yes. So how do you feel like your, how would you describe your relationship with her uh, today? Uh, I think she's the funniest person in the world and I absolutely love her and would, you know, take a bullet for her. It doesn't mean that it's easy for us to communicate. It doesn't mean that it's uh, easy for us to stay friends for long periods of time because I very quickly switch into maternal protect smother mm. <laughs> because that's <laughs> just it's wired in me now I think and I really struggle with that so we are both a lot better at keeping our distance because uh she's been through a hell of a lot and needs a lot of space from me and it's very good at marking her boundaries but also you know it's like it's so difficult you know I don't know if you've heard of the it, I think it's a Japanese red string thing where you're attached to people it's like mm. I constantly feel this attachment to her, like through my body. Like I adore her and want to protect her at all times, yeah. um, even when we're not talking. And we live sort of quite a long way away from each other, sort of five, six hours away. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, and I, I just, it's very complicated. Like I feel that love for her, but I don't want to smother her. But I also want to spend as much time as I can with her. <laughs> 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 no, it's, it's it's very interesting listening to you say that. It's kind of when I would just the way I would sort of in, interpret what you said, going back to your original point, that sort of maternal instinct yeah. it sounds like that you learned to create for yourself for her on her behalf. So you walk that line maybe between mother and sister. Yeah. So and at and at times it might be difficult to distinguish between the two. Yeah. Is, is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And I can I can somewhat empathize with that because my sister did, doesn't really do it as much now but did it for a very long time she definitely yeah. straddled that line uh because she felt like she had to and we've talked yeah. about that and it, and it did make it difficult at times to be close because it feels like you're we would call it parentifying me instead of actually just listening to me sharing with me being my older right. sibling and you know maybe giving me some perspective yeah or, and, and just like shutting down my decision making so I can definitely appreciate where probably you are coming from and where your younger sister would be coming from. Um, do you think that like, based on what you guys have gone through so far in life, has there been any type of reconciliation with mom or dad or, or with the four of you? Um, yeah. So I speak to both my parents. I had a little bit of time without either of them for in, in different periods of my life where, you know, a couple of years, my dad and sort of six months, my mom, where I just, needed to cut them out needed to do the work myself and just figure things yeah. out um sort of last year I reshaped my relationship with my mom I took six months off contact and that was massively helpful because I just needed she's not very good at respecting space she has quite a few sort of narcissistic tendencies mm. so I just needed to really 
put into place this is where I'm at I need you to listen and if you're not going to be able to do that then we need to take a break until you do listen um but no it's weird I don't necessarily consider them as parents I consider them as friends and I think that works a lot better for me um enable and being able to relate to them because I'm very I'm a lot better at putting boundaries in and saying that's not your place I'm an adult you know you did and they've both got a lot of things that I will always you know my trust my relationship with both of them trust wise is never going to be the same um and I guess like that's always going to be there there's nothing that's going to make that go away so yeah I'm friends with them now and we meet up and communicate I have a really good relationship with my dad actually he's sort of my best friend now despite being quite a volatile parent um Mm. you know during the early years quite violent and unsure of himself and I never really knew where I stood but he's gone through a lot of healing from his stuff um and we can now communicate really openly and I literally just say it how it is and tell him no you can't say that in front of me or no you know don't tell me what to do etc etc in a non-conflicty way which is nice no that's beautiful especially I like the fact you said my dad's been working on himself Mm. uh, because we don't often do that especially the men we don't often take the time to do that work. And I'm glad only because I know sometimes to your point, sometimes we don't come back from these things. Mm. Like I, 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 um, I like to make the point that nobody, and this is for families, nobody's entitled to a relationship. You got to earn it. Yeah. You got to work at it. And yeah. that's children to parents, parents to children, you know, romantic partners, friendships, everybody in between. If you want somebody to feel valued and appreciated, you know, we have to put in the effort to make sure that they feel that way. And hopefully that we're picking people in, in terms of friendships and romantic relationships that mirror back those emotions. The tricky part is with family because you were born into them. So you don't necessarily choose them, right? You have to learn to navigate how they naturally operate. And we're hoping that the more that I share, the more that I am open and transparent with you, that you will also learn to manage how you in- interact with me, how you engage with me, how you treat me to make me feel valued and appreciated and loved, hopefully. Yeah. And that doesn't always happen as we're young. And sometimes even as we get older, it still doesn't click because they might not be willing to accept what happened, their mm-hmm. role in things, um, how they can improve in terms yeah. of strengthening our relationship. And so I don't have an expectation to illustrate my point that we will always have relationships with, like, for example, with parents. I believe that, especially as you become an adult, right? You can't just tell people what to do. You have to actually become more of, I would say, an advisor guide type of role. We would seek your your perspective and insight on things because you've lived longer. So perhaps you have some lived experience that might benefit me, some wisdom but you can't tell me what to do anymore. That's a great way to create friction and, and separate us truly from actually being close. Yeah. So it's learning to reevaluate how we approach those types of relationships. And more importantly, when we have things that happen to us when we're young and we realize that it could have been better, or there's some things that I expressed to you that I didn't appreciate that happened or that happened kind of on your watch, that you can acknowledge that. You don't, mm. you don't minimize me. You don't invalidate me. You don't make me feel like I'm crazy or losing my mind, but you, you can appreciate where I'm coming from, even if you see it differently. 
and we learn to support each other through that. Some of those really uncomfortable, really maybe challenging conversations to to deal with. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're describing that things seem like they're maybe on a better path with both of them. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I'm very glad to hear that because I know that doesn't always, in my line yeah. of work, I know that doesn't always happen. There's no guarantees. Mm -hmm. So you got to work at it. Um, now, this is sort of a separate conversation, but I'm curious mainly because you're in a different country than me, even though there's common, though there's similarities, of course, but I always like to talk about cultural aspects of what shapes our way of seeing things, seeing the world. As you can imagine, for me, a lot of the people that I work with, just to give context, are people of color, largely Black people, because in the field of mental health, most providers, most clinicians are women, uh, and most of them are not people like me. And so a lot of men would prefer to speak, seek and speak to somebody who looks like them, who understands yeah. a little bit about their experience. Not that we're the same, because we're not all the same. We all have very different lived experiences, but there are some things that are very much in common. Mm -hmm. I ask that because do you think for you growing up in the UK, do you think that there's been any type of specific like cultural aspects being there that has shaped the way that you have seen maybe your family relationships, romantic relationships, or just any type of relationship you've tried to cultivate over the course of your life? That's a really interesting question. Um, I try to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'd say about people in the UK is that we are very closed about feelings about relationships particularly relationships mm. uh, about how things should be you know you get married then you have a baby you know that's that's I right. guess what but I, I don't know if that's necessarily the UK or if that's just everywhere mm. um I think there's a lot of hidden abuse in relationships that people just normalize too much mm. I think we've got a bad drinking culture here people sort of say oh yeah you know I only have this a night and I'm like oh could you go a night without it so we have a bit of a binge drinking toxic sort of alcoholistic culture for sure that I think people pretend is fine and it's really not um yeah. I don't drink as a result of my problems with alcohol in the past um and it doesn't you know alcoholism is is looked at sorry it's a very different topic but I think it is it no, no 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 it's tying in I'm following yeah it's um you know, people think, oh, I'm not drinking every single day, therefore it's fine. But I go out every weekend until I pass out, you know, eh, eh, still it, it, there's different levels of alcoholism. And yeah, I think you can still be an alcoholic by being a binge drinker, which is sort of what I was. I couldn't, I couldn't just drink one drink. I drank till I was blacked out and it wasn't healthy. Um, right. So, and I didn't drink for a long period of my life because of that. And then I started drinking again and there was a problem. And so I've stopped, but I think that's an issue in the UK for sure. Um, I think we're, we're all very uptight and prude and like we don't talk about sex and pleasure and what's normal and what's not normal and you know yeah you shouldn't be particularly you know we've got I don't know if it's the same in the US but especially because you talk to a lot of men there's mm -hmm. you know, I'm very passionate about men's mental health particularly we have a lot of relationships that look very much like oh I won't do this because the wife will tell me off and I'm like right. oh hold on hold on, that's actually emotional abuse. You know, you shouldn't be feeling like the wife is in control of you. Um, so I have something called the toilet seat theory, 
which is we get a lot of people saying, oh, you know, he's left the toilet seat up again. And I'm like, right, you're both in that house. You both live together. You haven't left the toilet seat up for him. Do you know mm. what I mean? Right. So it's I'm I'm probably quite a different thinker to many people in terms of the role of men in this country and how challenging it must be for men to yes. have to navigate the standards of what are we supposed to be now? We're not even allowed to hold the door open for you because it's considered sexist and you know, oh, yeah. what chivalry and how can I be a provider when that's not allowed anymore? What's my role? Um, Ooh, man. Yeah, so that's still very much an issue here, which is something I will speak quite loudly about because I'm very passionate about it and not enough people are aware of that because we've we've taken feminism to feminine angry, you know, they just there's so much bitterness and hate and anger that it's just not helping anybody and it's just created this toxic environment between uh men and women that is just makes me upset because it's not how we're gonna work things through. So Correct. I guess that's kind of cultural maybe as well. No, I would agree. Man, you hit uh you hit so many different topics. I'm gonna try my best to <laughs> I'm going to try my best to hit them because you, you brought up a lot there. But number one, I appreciate the the honesty because I think for a lot of men, particularly the men that I talk to as well, it is a little more of a hostile environment to, even if you were, if I, even if I talked about it just from a dating sense, um, mm. trying to approach women, it's very different. And it's not, to be clear, I don't think it's a question of, you know, if just in case somebody wanted to say this, like, should women be respected? Should women have, you know, equal rights and things like that? I don't think that mm -hmm. that's even a debate. I think it's, it, to me, it would be very clear that we believe yeah. that that should be the case. Yeah. But it's the treatment now. And as you said, it's very difficult to navigate because in some sense, a lot of men in my experience, but and I will include myself in this, we are brought up to be very traditional. And what I mean by traditional is being that provider role, that emotional stability of you might not see a lot of my emotions, but you can come to me when you're going through difficult times. I'm going to try to make sure that we keep this boat steady, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, we are encouraged in some cases to be more vulnerable, to be more open. But then when we do, we don't always get received well. Yeah. So then it makes it, it then goes back to a lot of the training that we get throughout our lives to then bottle it all back up and keep it all inside. Yeah. To your example about the gentleman who may want to talk about sexual preferences or what he's into, but is too afraid. Yeah. Which speaks volumes about his level of comfortability, his relationship, if he can't say that to his, his wife or yeah. his partner. So these are very complicated issues, right? Because you just, the big one to me you hit on was gender roles. Yeah. And I talk about that one a lot because that one is the one that I don't know if will ever fully change in my lifetime, but mm. I'm really trying to do my part to try to be of service to it. Because yeah. on one hand, just to, to lay out my sort of platform on that, I agree with us being traditional as men in terms of being those providers, because I think that there are certain things that we are built to do that mm -hmm. are very different to ask a woman to do. Yeah. Not because a woman can't do it, to be clear but it's about what helps us function in the most optimal way. So for those of us that want to have a stable home environment with a wife and maybe children or a husband and children for the other side, we want to create that environment where we are able to collaboratively work together. What I would say being interdependent. Yeah. So a lot of us talk about being independent. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, being interdependent is the choice that I know I can do it on my own but I choose to rely on you for certain things. Yes. I choose to rely on you for certain things. 
So it's not a question of like, oh, I don't need you or yeah. we don't need to do this together. Of course, that's already, that's already being known. You were doing it on your own before that we met. It's that I know that life is easier. And that to me is, is a very important truth that we all need to remember. Life is very hard and it's even harder when you got to do it by yourself. Yeah. It's not to say you need to throw yourself into a relationship just to not be alone. That's not what we're mm -hmm. saying. But it is more advantageous for us, particularly from an emotional standpoint, to have that level of stability in one's home and to be able to build relationships with people that you genuinely care about. Yeah. So that's one big thing, right? So that's the traditional sense. But on the flip side, because I'm a father as well, I believe much more that we have to step our game up and truly, as men, learn to be vulnerable truly be able to communicate and be transparent about the different experiences that we have and being honest with ourselves. I will acknowledge though, the difficulty with doing that is a lot of our societies don't really promote that. Yeah. People, a lot of people I've noticed will give us sort of lip service and talk about, it would be great if yeah. men would be more open and talk about these things. But when the situation presents, we don't always get received well. So then mm -hmm. we get it, we internalize that a lot of times and say, okay, then I guess I should just go back to not saying anything. But then we manifest a lot of those things in very destructive ways. Maybe we binge drink, maybe we get into a lot of fights, maybe I'm in and out of jail, maybe I'm emotionally abusive or neglectful to my wife, my children, my husband, my whoever. It can manifest in all these ways because I'm pushing and compressing everything down instead of letting it out which I know you know better because you've gone through therapy so many times. So you understand the importance and value of doing that. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's the balance that we have to strike as men. We it's okay for us to be those traditional men in that sense of being the providers because we are largely built to do that. But we would benefit, our children would benefit, our women would benefit if we also learn to lean into being more open. But we need support from everybody including our mothers, our fathers, our family, our friends, our teachers, everybody in society to also promote that, not scold yeah. us, not make fun of us, not yeah. belittle us, not minimize how we're feeling. But that's a lot of what we get. So I work really, really hard as a person in the field who's trying to promote more of us to do this, who had to deal with the struggles of not ever feeling safe to talk about it, to try to make it easier for those that mm -hmm. are coming after. So I will get off my soapbox, but that's a very big thing for me. Uh, but I'm very grateful that you said that because I don't, yeah. I don't hear that a lot. And uh, not, this is, again, this is not an attack on women. I just, I hope that that resonates with somebody mm. that you, you can appreciate that it is very difficult for us in these times to try to evolve, so to speak, yeah. in, in, into these ways that we want to be. Now, going back to the culture side, talking about the drinking, that to me can have its own challenges. I'm not anti using any substance in, in that in that traditional sense. Mm -hmm. However, as a clinician, I always ask the question, why are you using it? Yeah, because that matters. So sometimes, you know, from my experience, we will use certain things to usually escape or avoid whatever we're feeling, whatever we don't want to deal with. And there can be consequences to that. Because as you mentioned, maybe I'm so blackout, I'm so drunk, I'm so inebriated, Maybe I am abusive. Maybe I'm neglectful. Maybe I, I can't maintain my job. I can't maintain my relationships with my, my children or my spouse. It can pose all these other significant risks, but we may not understand. There are some other things going on underneath the surface. Yeah. And as promoting and encouraging me to go do this, 
And maybe the people around me also don't recognize that they're supporting me to use this as an outlet, but mm-hmm. it's not a particularly healthy one, right? Because the, the crazy thing about it, when you th- really think about substance use, misuse, and abuse, as we would call it, it's a very insidious cycle where I have to use it to escape whatever it is I don't know how to deal with or I don't want to deal with. Yeah. So then I kind of get high or get low, whatever you know, you're using. And then I'm fine. Then it comes back down. Now I'm starting to feel like it again because I lose the I, I lose the efficacy of it. So the feelings and all the experiences rush back. And then I got to go get high again. So that way I can escape it again. And that becomes a cycle. That's how you can go from using something in maybe a somewhat reasonable way to then I have an addiction. I don't know how to function without it because every time something comes up, I don't know how to cope. Yeah. So go back to drinking, going back to the bar, going back to getting blackout. So I always like to make that point. It's not to say you can't use anything like that, but it's more about why are you using it? What's the intentionality behind it? And yeah. I would I would challenge us to say, am I emotionally stable when I choose to engage in this substance? Because yeah. then at least I know that it's of my own volition. It's of my own choosing. It's not because I'm in this really bad emotional space and I'm just trying to run from something. No, I am taking care of my responsibilities. I feel personally well, but I just like to have a beer or two at the end of the night. That could be one way to look at it. And then also to your point about if I'm doing it every night and maybe the volume is increasing over time, that that might be concerning behavior. Not might, might not be, but it mm. could be. So it's good to talk to somebody. Um, and I will say, lastly, before I go back to you, culturally, I haven't actually been to the UK before, but I will say that my experience from people I know who are from there, there does seem to be much more, which doesn't, it's not that drastically different from the US, but much more openness to drink to excess, particularly yeah. around uh, football. It seems to be much more widely accepted. For us, yeah. I, w- I would say pretty common as well among sports. Um, we, we might make poor decisions. And so I think it's also important to understand, like you said, the cultural context there. Sometimes that that does shape our reality. We might say, well, it's a perfectly okay son or daughter to drink a lot before you get ready to um, deal with this particularly troubling experience that you have to. But yeah. that's not what we want to do. We want to actually learn to deal with those things and, and, and look at those as two separate events. I know how to deal with my issues over here. And when I'm better space, then I'm also choosing to drink and that's fine. Or you smoke marijuana, fine. Yeah. But not, I'm trying to deal with this and I'm using this because that typically like jumbles everything up and it doesn't tend to go <laughs> as well based on what I've experienced and the different people I've worked with. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you giving us that that insight in terms of how that might be normalized significantly in the UK. Now, I want to go back to you talking about openness. You used the, you, you were describing under the, the lens of uh, sexuality. Yeah. Is there, is there anything else that you think growing up there that people tend to shy away from or they tend to not be willing to very openly discuss? Um, sort of things that are wrong. Like, mm. you, there can't be anything wrong, you know. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's never actually. I'm having a shit time. Like people aren't. They just aren't comfortable saying it. 
so like i have quite a big instagram account now and if i'm having a shit time everybody knows about it i don't care like if you don't want to <laughs> hang around that's fine but i'm not going to sit here and pretend my life is sunshine and rainbow rainbows all the time because it isn't yeah. um and i want to normalize that i want people to recognize that that is the that that is normal mm-hmm. to have ups and downs um and i i think you know it just oh it really irritates me so when people the cashiers the the people when we go to the shops and you know, the tills and things oh how was your day it's fine it's all good you know everything's fine you know actually you know so and so just died but and i'm not doing yeah. okay and i need a hug but i'm not going to say that because i'm british and we don't talk about feelings like that <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i guess no no i i was gonna say um it's funny to use that expression because i feel like that's very common as well here uh and, yeah. and it feels very reflexive it's like people don't even think about their, their response. They just say yeah. it because they're so conditioned. It's, um, yeah, everything's fine. And as yeah. you said, like I could have lost somebody very recently. I could have lost my job. I could be home. I could just like about to be homeless. But we won't really take a second and think about sharing that with people because, yeah, we're typically very guarded people. Hmm. Um, and a lot of that, again, comes back to, you know, the way that we're raised and the way that we grow up. So I'm not I'm not totally shocked that you said that because I know that we have our own we have our own versions of that here. And, and I, I do wish that we would be a little more open. Not that you're going to necessarily go through the, the checkout line and be like, so let me tell you my life story. That, like, <laughs> Honestly, that... I'm awful. They regret asking me every time. <laughs> I mean, it might happen for some people, for sure. <laughs> but I know that for others, like, you know, it, it takes, it's more of a process to, to build that up. And uh, you're going to be more selective, you know, with who you choose to share that with. But I do agree with the keeping a lot of that stuff internalized because you don't really want to let others in to know what's really going on. Mm. And that to me, again, is the whole point of why we're here. Um, I've appreciated all the different pieces that you've shared so far, because I think it's important for us to see that. And again, not judge things just based on their outward appearance or their exterior. Things can look Mm. very well put together and like there's no real issues. But you know, you don't go home with these people. You're not in their thoughts and in their heart to understand yeah. what they what they experience. So it's important for us to, I say, genuinely be curious and maybe a little inquisitive, but trying to keep the judgment uh, out of the out of the equation because that encourages more people to, to be open. If they know that you're not going to make them feel bad for what they're going to tell you, you're just trying to be an open ear to to listen to them and maybe yeah. maybe give them perspective. So I'm glad that you you gave us more insight about how culturally these things work, because I think it's very interesting to see how that shapes our reality. So you have like yeah. the, and the UK is obviously is very similar to the US. You have the culture of being in that country and in that, that community. And then for those of us that are what we would say like ethnic minorities, then you have your subculture that you also deal with where mm-hmm. your where your family's from, maybe the way that they behave that's different than like the primary culture of where you know where you live. Yeah. And that can also play additional roles in how you see things or how you suppress things, how you mm-hmm. don't share things, because it's not culturally accepted. So I always like to touch on that for that reason. I'm gonna do a slight pivot now and ask you, cause I know you brought it up a little while ago about you or in your first healthy relationship, mm-hmm. based on your experiences so far, like how would you sort of compare and contrast what you've dealt with in the past versus how your relationship is now? So my first serious relationship was severely abusive. Um, obviously 
similar to you I'd grown up thinking that's normal that's what I'm supposed to be that's how love is um I was abusive from the start like I didn't realize I just I find it funny because I'm just like looking back now my self-esteem was so low that I thought that was the best I was gonna get and I was Mm. like you know but I'm so lucky you know I must behave I must do what I'm told I must do x y and z and you know it came to a point on boxing day when he nearly killed me and I ran out in my pajamas um Mm. down my road to try and get away and ended up running into my neighbor's house to just try not to be killed that I thought I can't I can't do this anymore um so it was quite clear to me by that point what an unhealthy relationship was but that was literally only through friends um Mm. sort of online content other than that I would have just assumed this is you know this is normal relationships have conflict and sometimes conflicts escalate to being beaten up that's you know that's standard that's literally how my brain was was thinking and in that sense I am very glad grateful for social media because that has been such a space for me to get educated on things like that um particularly for example slight slightly pivot but when um I was 17 I was raped and I it was like you know quite quite a serious situation I tried to knock me unconscious there was a lot of blood it was Mm. um and I still came away from that situation thinking you know maybe that was just a a bad experience maybe I didn't at that point I told my friend the next morning and she said we need to report it I I would never have used the word rape next to it the next morning I would never Mm. have used that but looking back, thinking I was screaming no the whole time, I've still got injuries as a result of what happened. I, my, you know, I was knocked unconscious, and I was like, oh yeah, 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 that's uh, it's definitely rape. I'm allowed to use that word, but it was mm. actually um, a talk at, at my school that alerted me to the fact that that's what it was. So it was through sure. education in that sense. So yeah, so going back to that abusive relationship, I didn't know when I was in it that that was the case. It was sort of the last year. And I wrote a list of everything that he was doing. And I was like, I'm going to give him three chances. Obviously, that never happened. It was far more than that. But mm-hmm. um, it took me a long time to believe that I would survive without him and survive without having somebody else there and financially survive because nobody ever talks about that part of things. You know, I have a house. I have a dog. Um, my jobs are freelance. I don't mm-hmm. have a set income. Um, I had to give him an awful lot of money for him to leave he stayed in my house for six weeks after we broke up and I had to get him I had to pay him out basically mm. so there was a lot to have to comprehend and I, I will commend anybody you know male or female who gets out of a situation like that because there is so much strength involved in removing yeah. yourself from those situations oh absolutely and again I really appreciate you for for bearing a lot of this out here for us to listen and, and learn from um just thinking about like the totality of what you're saying, you know, having these unhealthy relationships and the way people are misusing you and mistreating you and thinking about again, where it started, right? Mm -hmm. I I can never, this never escapes my mind. You know, the way that we grow up and the way we're raised sets those expectations, sets sort of those standards, right? Of what we feel like our self-worth is, what we'll put up with essentially. Yeah. And then when you describe what you said, you know, like I definitely can relate to my first relationship, but thinking about the fact that you thought that it was okay. You're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like it's about right. 
look, and then looking back now, you're like, no, there's no way I would tolerate that. There's no mm -hmm. way I would put up with that because I deserve better. But that goes to show that's where our worth was at that time. Maybe now yeah. we're here, but then we were like down here somewhere thinking, yeah, this is totally acceptable. Yeah. Even if I don't like it. Even if I don't like the the decisions that you're making, the choices that you're making, the way that you're treating me, I still think that, like you said, that's the best that I can do. Yeah. I think it's important to, you know, to distinguish those for for those of us that are listening. But also when you're thinking about the the totality of those relationships now and sort of how things would be different, I'm curious. So I I imagine you're in a much healthier place now. Mm. How how would you define somewhat how your relationships is shaped now how do you deal with him now how do you navigate that relationship now so after i broke up with my abusive ex i flinged into a love bombing situation where he wasn't abusive but it didn't mean it wasn't toxic um and he completely love bombed me i was totally like oh my god this is amazing um but you know in reality he would just disappear for days and I'd be like oh it's okay though he's not hurting me um and it was then he completely out of the blue snapchatted me saying it was over basically and wow. I was in shock I just completely was went I didn't um didn't cope at all and I went into this really dark part of my life for six weeks it was pretty much six weeks on the dot I have a theory about the the six week rule after relationships and um I then ended up having a year on my own so I'm I'm tying this in this will you know bear with me here mm -hmm. that year on my own was and probably will always be the my most favorite experience of my life I learned to love myself I took myself out to the cinema I took myself to the zoo to aquariums to theme parks on my own to have picnics in my car reading books learned to dance did an astrology diploma all of this stuff for me i redecorated my whole house on my own made all my furniture on my own um and documented all of this on instagram which is my obviously my social place i love it there everyone's mm -hmm. great um and i just developed this sense of independence but not like we were saying earlier not I don't need anybody, this sense of I'm so comfortable with who I am. You know, if somebody really good comes in, it would take that for me to want to give up that time. Right. Um, and then Alex, who's my current boyfriend, who is brilliant. We actually knew each other from when I was in a bad way. So it was really oh. weird that we so we tied back in together. Um, so we the approach I had then, it was a, a brilliant friend of mine, was like, it's not about how he feels about you, it's how you feel about him. So it wasn't about me sat there going, I need him to like me, I need him to like me, I need him to like me. It was like, oh, do I like him enough? You know, am I going to give him my time? Um, and not in a sort of feministy, oh, I hate men kind <laughs> of way, but in a sort of, I believe in myself enough to know that I don't need somebody else here. I need to want to, I want to choose them to be here. You know, it was more, I don't need you, I want you. Mm -hmm. Um and we built our relationship off the whole the first way through being like no no no, we're not we're not anything he's very similar to me and that oh no i'm independent but i you know if somebody comes on <laughs> it's really good for me to give up this time so right, it was this right. beautiful sort of we were hanging out and we were like oh we're nothing we're nothing more than just sleeping together that's all it is we're just you know and we're going for walks together and we're watching films together but it's nothing more so it wasn't like we weren't trying to oh he needs to like me i need his approval i need his yeah admiration it was like oh I guess I kind of like hanging out with this person to the point where it was like 
I actually prefer my life hanging out with him than I don't, you know, than I do on my own. And I thought I'd never say that after that year on my own. So it was, it was, to be honest, and I think it's really key the way you go into these relationships. It was the initial approach that I think put me in good stead and stopped me from having this codependency Mm -hmm. um, on needing that approval and needing that, um, that admiration from him. And also our ability to communicate straight up how we feel. And that's something that, he is excellent at he's such a phenomenal communicator he will tell me the absolute truth even when I don't want to hear it even though it's the last thing I want to hear he'll Mm -hmm. say it how it is and in the past I would have really struggled with that and now I say I'm not enjoying this I didn't like the way you talked to me um I don't think we should talk about this right now I need some time to cool down whereas before I'd been like oh my god if I say this he's gonna break up with me I can't do it so (laughs) it's literally I think it's all about the approach really rather than obviously the person has to be fab and completely on the same level Mm -hmm. but if you both have that level-headed healthy approach I really believe that it's possible and I I sit here now and I don't talk about oh forever and ever and he's my forever person and I won't be able to cope without him I'm Mm -hmm. like yeah I'm really enjoying having this person in my life if that's not forever that's okay I'll be fine but I love having him here so yeah no, that's very well said, very well spoken. I, especially that last part about the way that we approach the relationships, I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. I think it's important for us to be in a very emotional, stable space before we, we leap into these situations. But I yeah. find that for different reasons, maybe we're trying to escape pain, maybe we're trying to escape heartache or loneliness, we'll just jump into relationships um, for those reasons. But that doesn't give us the right foundation, if you will, to ensure as long as possible that we can have a successful long-term relationship or possible mm-hmm. marriage, if that's what you're looking for. But we don't always connect those dots. You know, We're just like, oh, I don't want to deal with being by myself now because I'm very lonely and I'd rather have somebody there. So let me just jump into the first thing I can get my hands on. Yeah. The first person, as you said previously with the love bombing, the first person that's saying they love me or they make time for me or what have you after my previous relationship and not even realizing i would say this is my opinion personal opinion i don't really consider that to be real Mm. i consider that to be um sort of fantasizing what we think it should be and because somebody says the words yeah literally that we we create the rest of the narrative we create the rest of the story to say oh yeah man it, it must be this this might be my forever person because they just said the things that I really wanted to hear. Yeah. Not even realizing maybe I was giving them all the hints and all the signs to say these things to me, to patronize me, to yeah, to to really feed me that information, even though they may not genuinely feel that way because <laughs> maybe we haven't even known each other that long. But mm. I'm just I'm gonna give it all to you because I want you to feel so special. Yeah. And the the point of that is that we don't build the relationship on the right foundation. And again, yeah. I think so much about the outcome. I would like to imagine for you, for your boyfriend and probably anybody else who's listening who's in a relationship, ideally, we would like it to work as long as possible. Would you agree hmm. with that statement? Yeah, I think people change. I don't know that yes. I don't necessarily fixate on having this long term thing or having the one perfect partner. Mm-hmm. I think we grow and I think we change. And I think for me, that's something I'd love to be more normalized is having multiple partners in life because I think we're so mm. set on it's the one, you know, we must have the one. But people do change and people do grow and, um, you know, you can realize things that, you can realize differences in your relationship that may 
growing as you go on and that might be a problem um so I think and I think there's so much fear around ending relationships because like oh well that was my person that was my forever and I don't you know I'm never going to find that same love again no absolutely not you're not going to find that same love again you'll find a different love and it will feel different and it will look different um the same with with grief you know um particularly like grief of pets we mm. have an insane connection to pets over here. I don't know what it is like in the US, but with dogs in it particular, we are we are tight as anything. And, you know, they they will die and it's horrendous. And yet we get more pets, not to replace mm. that same one, but we create a brand new relationship, a brand new level of love. love. Not that I'm relating relationships to dogs, but at sure. the same time, you know, I don't, you know, I think it's great to look at it as a long term rather than oh, this is only for the summer. It's only a summer fling. I think it's great. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love a future with you. It doesn't mean that this relationship is dependent on us having a future together. For me, it's sure. more. It's dependent on us both being happy right now and navigating right now with each other. No, I agree. I, I would agree with that. We don't want to operate. I would say from a fear based mentality mm. that I'm I'm too afraid to to lose you. So I will do anything to keep you. Yeah, that's not that's not healthy. When I say I want us to, I imagine that many of us want to have these long-term relationships. It's sort of implying that even as we evolve and change, which everybody will, if you don't know, you will, that I want to grow with this person. Like we're going, our foundation of communication, like you were referring to your, your boyfriend, our foundation of communication is so strong that even when we have all these different challenges and changes that occur, we're yeah. going to express ourselves so clearly that we are. there's a greater chance we're going to be able to find compromise, mm-hmm. right? And, and every relationship is going to be predicated on the fact that you are willing to compromise with each other in order for it to have a long sustaining life in, sure. terms of, in terms of the relationship. And again, this is not just romantic. This is with your family, friends, mm-hmm. and everything in between. So it's understanding that many people don't necessarily want to have to have multiple relationships, what I say, to give a different take on it, is that, especially for men, a lot of us have to have many relationships because we have to learn. And we end up learning a lot of the different ways of how we need to communicate, how we need to be more expressive, how we need to be more vulnerable through hardship, heartache, and loss. Mm -hmm. We go through those experiences, then we're like, oh, she was telling me all these things all this time, and now I'm hurting. Yeah. So now I should probably do things differently in the next one. And then you have the next relationship. She said I should be doing these things. I guess I got to do it again. Yeah. And then, it's, and then that sort of becomes the process as opposed to, and I'm not, I'm not trying to turn this into another platform issue, but the more that we share and we express with each other, I think it starts when we're young. Yeah. For example, if I, if me and my father have a really strong relationship, and he's willing to tell me a lot of the mistakes that he made dating early on, right? It doesn't mean I'm going to listen to all of it because we, you know, there's plenty of things that we dismiss that our parents tell us. So I'm not saying that. But there might be some things that you sort of plant the seed. And over time, I might realize, you know, he was telling me this thing and I'm starting to sort of see it in her. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's not the kind of person I should build with. Maybe I should consider getting out of here, to your point. Yeah. And that might save me from some of that hardship and heartache. I might have to go through some of it, no doubt. You can't prevent everything. But maybe the number of partners I have gets reduced. Yeah. Because I got it, I got it right earlier because I learned from getting a lot of that feedback and experience from my parents or the people that took care of me and raised me. I think that those those elements are important. And then when yeah. you're in the relationship with somebody, 
I say it because intimacy and being willing to be vulnerable, particularly for men, yeah. is very, very hard. Yeah. I heard it, I think it was on a podcast. I heard it similarly, and it kind of clicked in my mind. It's like a woman's willingness to share her body is very similar to a man's willingness to share his emotions mm-hmm. in terms of it's a very prized thing. Like we're very private about that. Yeah. Woman doesn't want to sleep around for a long period of time anyway. And a man doesn't want to have to be vulnerable with everybody. He'll want to be with certain people that he deems worthy. Yeah. Right? So- if I if we're in a relationship and I build a significant relationship with you, I'm probably not going to want to have to duplicate that with somebody else, barring mm-hmm. something terrible not happen to you or to me. Uh, so that way I don't have to go through this whole experience again of trying to build it back up. Mm. It doesn't mean sometimes you don't have to do it. Sometimes it will happen because there's unforeseen circumstances that is the way that life works. But things that I can control for. I'm not going to contribute to try to destroy this relationship because I like the way it is. I like yeah. have me, having you around. I would like for this to go as long as it can possibly go for. I, I tend to believe that that's the general disposition that people have, not operating in fear that I'm afraid if I don't have you that I will lose myself because that is codependent behavior. Yeah. But that I would prefer to not go through this life alone. And if I can build this with you and we can continue to evolve, grow and communicate better together, I'd rather stay with you. Yeah. I'd rather not have to go out here on the dating market and try to do this again and mm. again and again. Because that can be, it can lead you to a state of cynicism. Yeah. Because yeah. you might, because you might, you, you might see that it's so difficult to engage anybody, you might just give up. And I really don't want that for us. Mm. I want us to just grow, be the best versions of ourselves, as you said, going back to your original point. Entering the relationship as two people who are stable emotionally, physically, you know, mentally, and all these different facets of life, because we're giving ourselves the greatest chance that it's going to be successful. Mm. But if I come in, I just got a relationship, you're relatively stable, then I might latch on to you. And we might develop that codependent relationship where I don't know who I am outside of you because yeah. you sort of saved me yeah. from, from where I came from. So the purpose of saying all that is that we don't want to be jumping into a relationship looking for somebody to save us or trying to not deal with our stuff as the fallout of of a relationship. It's okay to grieve it. It's okay to learn from it. It's okay Mm -hmm. to recognize there's things I should do differently. There's things I want my partner to do differently. But understanding also that we don't want to have this sort of, or I I would hope anyway, an attitude of I'll just leap into another one and I'm sure this one will be better. The grass is greener expression right mm-hmm. but that's not always true it might look like it from the outside as we've talked about the outside might look fantastic but you don't know until you're in it of what you're really dealing with mm-hmm. so we want to have this sense of being grounded in what do we want what are we looking for what do we offer what do we bring to the table so we can have a, a greater solidarity of relationship as we get older as we age because the one thing i think most of us don't want to deal with is being alone in our later years because that you know that that loneliness can be extremely debilitating for many many people yeah so i know that was a very long-winded answer so my apologies but i was trying to tackle so many things that you you know that you had mentioned because i do think it's important to not feel like you don't understand who you are and your sense of self outside of a relationship or any person 
but just understanding and realizing if I do have a good relationship, if I do have some areas I need to improve upon, but this generally is very solid, I I might have a better time in life if I hold on to it, as opposed mm. to if I let it go thinking that this new person might be fun, fun, phenomenally and fundamentally better than, than what I have currently. Yeah. So anyways, now on the sale on the same topic, but I want to start talking a little bit more about expectations because obviously you've had a lot of experiences with men, a lot mm -hmm. of them not as pleasant, not of your own choosing. So when you chose your, your current partner, like how did you manage your expectations of what you felt like you needed from him and maybe what he needed from you? So it's, I was just thinking about this as you were speaking about something that I'm sure Alex would mind me sharing at the beginning of our relationship. I said to him, I really need you to communicate how you feel towards me. That's I, um, you know, and that's what I've, I've based my relationships of in the past. And he was saying, oh, you know, but it's not all about words for me. It's about actions. I'm like, that's great that that works for you. Uh, actions isn't, isn't my love language. It's not how, you know, words and affirmations and physical touch and quality time is my love language. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I need to be able to feel that. Otherwise, I'm really going to struggle. And he said, oh, it's so weird. It's been like this in every single relationship I've been in. The girls always wanting communication and me not being able to give it to them. And I was like, okay, bit of a pattern. And I said, do you think maybe that's something that you need to become aware of? And he was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Because I think it was very easy for him to say all women are rather than saying, oh, actually, this is a, this is a me issue. Yeah. Um, and sort of it's, it's the same with me with, my um fears around cheating my fears around as well as having abusive ex he was massively unfaithful and knew about it the whole mm. time and stayed with him anyway um my fears around that to the point where i would be you know multiple calling alex if i hadn't heard from him in like an hour and a half i'd be like oh my god he's mm. dead he's cheating on me um etc etc and it was again that conversation of him saying to me do you think this is something that um, you know, this expectation for me to need to communicate with you as much as you want me to is actually based off fear and based off your past negative experiences rather than what we actually would benefit from in this relationship. Right. Um, so it was, yeah, there was a, a lot of the first six months I say in a relationship are always the hardest. Everyone's like, oh, that's the best time ever. Honeymoon phase. I'm like, yeah, that. And also so much to navigate and so many ways of learning to work with each other that you know i think for the year on mark then i'm like that that's my honeymoon <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah expectations are particularly you know with everything on social media and with the the feminangrist as i called them that are like red flag red flag you know getting the ick and all this i'm like shut up like stop <laughs> this isn't you know stop focusing on what everybody else is saying and start focusing on what you're saying because the way you feel is going to be different to how somebody else feels the way you mm -hmm. uh, relate sexually is going to be different to how somebody relates sexually the way you communicate is going to be different and you have to navigate that with the person that you spend the time with not based on what social media says is right or wrong so like this whole oh if, you know if men want you they'll they'll make it clear they'll call you sort of thing so Alex is the most emotionally unavailable person you've ever met in your life from the beginning of our relationship. Mm. Um, and like I said, we were so, you know, oh, we don't care, nonchalant, you know, don't, you know, we're not, we're just friends. Um, and it took 15 months for him to tell me that he loved me. 
And to any of those Instagram red flag reels, he would be gone, according to that, you know? <laughs> right. um, so I just, I think expectations can't be what's, there is no rule book as much as, you know, obviously there's a, there's a difference between abuse and, uh, and, and non-abusive relationships. That's sure. something that's very clear. And I don't think I really need to explain that, but um, when it comes to basic etiquette in relationships, it's always going to be different. And you have to look at as well, you know, Alex has past trauma. He has past um, stuff that the way he grew up explains a hell of a lot about why he is the way he is. And mm. I'm very grateful I've had therapy in the sense that I can understand that and I can sure. um, see, oh, that's the way, that's why he's doing that. You know, he's not, you know, nobody ever told him he loved him. So why should he tell me that he loves me? You know, what? where's that, you know, where's that come from? You know, yeah. so, um, yeah. And that's, oh, that last part you said, that's so real, especially for him. Shout out to Alex. That, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a very real thing. I, I, I can personally attest to that. When you don't have those experiences growing up or even in some of your relationships, um, then you don't know how to properly express it. Or I would say your way of looking at it mm. can be very t twisted, very contorted, and it doesn't necessarily match. I think women are, you know, typically much more comfortable saying I love you to their their partner because they typically grow up in spaces where it's okay for them to express that. And for us, very guarded, very yeah. private. It takes a long time, depending on what you've dealt with, to to say that. And then to, to your point, there's reasons why you feel that way. There's reasons why you see it like that. So rather than judging it because of the expectation that it should have happened already or you should be yeah. saying it already, understanding maybe why it's not happening, asking those, again, curious, inquisitive questions. What comes up for you when I'm saying this to you? Or why do you think you've, it's, you've been maybe hesitant or been concerned about sharing that with me? What do you think you need to see or feel for you to be able to express that to me? Yeah. Trying to get more background. So less judgment, more understanding, right? Mm -hmm. That's to me, generally like my rule of thumb, which I heard you say, which is beautiful that you said that because we don't always do that. And I think sometimes we... If we were operating, let's say, thankfully, I don't live on social media, um, so I don't get my cues from social media. I grew up before social media, so I don't find I find value in it, but not in terms of like how to moderate my life. I, like, yeah. I, I don't see any value in that. I learned, quote unquote, old school um, that I've developed those ideals beforehand. So that doesn't shape my reality. But for younger people, it does. And that, that's fair. So understanding that, hey, just because these people might promote, this is what you should deal with, this is what you shouldn't deal with, you got to understand, number one, they have their own personal implicit bias as well. So they're mm -hmm. going to see things through their lens because of what they experience, and they may pro be projecting that onto you, and you may not even be aware of that because maybe you don't have a good sense of what you need, what you look for, what you expect, so on and so forth. So I think it's important to understand that. So if you only get your information from, well, she said that he should be doing this right now. Mm -hmm. and he's not. So I guess I should leave him, right? Yeah. Well, she's not in your bedroom. She's not in these conversations. She's not communicating with him. Maybe you should communicate with him first. So before you go seek all this outside counsel and guidance, maybe try to have more of those honest, intimate, deep conversations with him to better understand what's going on for him. Because mm -hmm. number one, I always want women to understand this because this has not changed yet. It is very, very hard and very, very difficult for the vast majority of men in the world. I've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of different men from a lot of different places for us to open up and be very emotionally expressive. 
Sometimes it's because we choose to, sometimes it's because of a lot of what we've had to deal with and experience. And because we've also not taken or had the opportunity to do the internal work that we need to, to make it easier to open up, it's going to be a challenge. Just like if I was, I'm sure when Alex was first learning to navigate his relationship with you, somebody who has been assaulted before, intimacy, trust, consent, those are going to be difficult things to navigate. Not Mm. because he did anything to you, but because you had those experiences prior to the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So it's understanding that in a similar way, he may have gone through some things that taught him to be very emotionally repressive. So then he's not going to be as expressive and we have to learn how to deal with that because the vast majority of men have those type of issues. Yeah, And it's not because we're broken or we're bad people. It's because we, a lot of us grew up in environments where it just wasn't taught to be normalized and okay. So to that, that would be my response to the, whoever might be saying these things on social media that these are inappropriate because the truth is a lot of these situations are nuanced. There are commonalities that we can make some generalizations on. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of things, particularly when you're talking about intimacy and relationships are very nuanced. There's a lot of gray and unique context to better understand why people are doing what they're doing. But more importantly, to the point of expectations, the thing I, I take away the most, and I'm glad that you've done, is that you have communicated that to him. And it seems like he has been receptive to that as well, because I'm sure you wouldn't still be in a relationship if he was not. So that to me is the most important thing is being able to lay out, you know, what are you looking for? What do you need? What am I looking for? What do I need? Am I getting those needs met? Okay, if I'm not, how often are we sitting down to talk about this? Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's awkward. But the more we do it, the less awkward it will become. Mm -hmm. That's what you don't want. I'm going to pivot slightly. This is another big issue for me because a lot of relationship stuff I've had to deal with with clients is largely based on miscommunication or lack thereof. Yeah. So we make a lot of assumptions. That's just the, the end of the story is usually we make too many assumptions about how the other person thinks. So I'm going to look very clearly and I'm going to say this very loud and slowly. So we as people, if I'm talking to Rebecca, you're looking at me. I cannot possibly look into Rebecca's mind or heart and tell her how she feels. Mm -hmm. Only she knows how she feels. Rebecca cannot look at me and tell me what I think and how I feel. I don't care if we were together for 20 years. You can never tell me that. Now, you may have been around me for so long that you have a general understanding of how my disposition is how I usually may respond to certain things. You can say that. But at any point, I could switch it on you. Why? Because I am me and you are you. You cannot speak for me. I cannot speak for you ever. That's hard for people to understand because they think, oh, but I know you so well. So or people say, even say things like, I know you better than you know yourself. I'm like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Don't you dare ever be that arrogant to think you know this person better than they know themselves. Don't ever yeah. say something asinine like that. That is completely unfair to rob that person of their emotional autonomy. That they that you don't that you know better than what they think. So, I say all that because a lot of times what I've seen in relationships is that we could save relationships actually if we chose to engage each other more. But what can happen? I'm going to try to, I'm trying to really not go into the therapy role, but I feel like I just got to say this. 
So you did CBT. So I'm sure you know this, you know this concept, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, right? I call it like the chain. So if I'm operating based on assumptions, then I'm telling myself one thing, the thought that I have, which then influences the way that I feel, which then influences the way that I behave with a person or with myself, right? Why can that be potentially dangerous when you're talking about communication, when you're talking about relationships and expectations? Because if I don't share any of that stuff with you and you're supposed to be my partner, I might be filling in all the blanks by myself mm -hmm. of why it's not happening. Well, you know, he probably doesn't really love me. You know, he, he, he's probably cheating on me. He's probably sleeping with this person. I don't even know if he likes me anymore. Maybe he's getting ready to go move out soon. Like we, do, we tell ourselves all this madness, all of this stuff, and we never usually go to confirm with that person when you say things, right? Is that what you meant? This is how I interpreted it. Is that what you intended? Yes or no? And in many cases, that's not true. Mm -hmm. But we don't go back to confirm. We just like, yep, I think that's how it looks. Uh, I noticed you haven't talked to me in a couple of days, so psh, I thought you just broke up with me. So I guess I'm just going to go out here and be with somebody else now. Or yeah. I'm going to sit in my house and cry all day because I don't understand what I did wrong. And they're like, hey, I just, I had a rough couple of days. Like, I was definitely going to get back in touch with you. But like, why did you do all this extra stuff? Like, you, you really didn't have to. Yeah. But we don't go back to get that extra information. So that's like a really, really other big issue for me is to try to help us stop making so many assumptions. Yeah. Assumptions have their place. Sometimes you have to make snap judgments and there are things you have to assume, particularly when it comes to things like personal safety. So we're not saying you shouldn't do it ever, mm -hmm. but in the context of relationships and expectations, which is what we're talking about here, it is very dangerous to constantly assume what your partner thinks and how they feel. Yeah. It is extremely, extremely disturbing and it can cause us to lose good people and good relationships that otherwise would have stood the test of time and otherwise could have prevailed mm -hmm. simply because we did not want to have that level of vulnerability with somebody or express how we felt and actually be open about it. And I'm trying very hard to help encourage us and promote us to stop doing that. Because when I have to deal with the other side, when people are coming to therapy and they want to talk about it, usually there's like a person who's checked out and there's a person who's really engaged. Yeah. Nobody really wants to be there. And somebody else is like, you know, I'm here because he made me be here or <laughs> I'm here because she made me be here. I'm, I'm done, man. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't have to play out like that. It's my point. Mm. So again, another long winded answer, my apologies, but I feel like it's very important to make that very clear because a lot of us are operating like that. We don't, take the time to just listen and be curious about why this person behaves the way that they do. Yeah. Ask the inquiring question about, this is how it appears to me, is this what you meant? Yeah. We just internalize it. And we assume so much when we communicate, when she said this, this is how it made me feel. But I didn't ask, is that what she intended for me to feel? Yeah. Particularly if it didn't feel good, it felt fine. You know, okay, maybe you wanna make an assumption. But if it didn't make you feel good, Maybe ask, is that what she wanted? And if not, maybe I need to get some clarification because I went from feeling bad, feeling sad because of what I thought she was trying to say to me. And now maybe my behavior is 
I'm distant. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to spend time with you. I don't want to be intimate with you because I'm getting the impression that you are not being very open-minded to me or you're pushing me away. You're not being very compassionate towards me. So I don't have any encouragement to want to continue to do this with you. Yeah. And I think that it can a hundred percent be avoided, but it can largely, if we're willing to take that additional step to really clarify and stop trying to fill in all of the blanks with how we perceive things. Cause it's really not fair. Mm -hmm. Because again, I will say it one more time. You cannot tell somebody how they think and how they feel better than they can. And they cannot say the same for you. So it's much better. It's a much smarter strategy. If anything, play dumb. Just ask. Because you yeah. could be wrong. You might be wrong. You might look at it like this and the bias is really, really strong. And you think, oh, there's no way. It has to be exactly how it appears to me. But you could be wrong. Mm -hmm. And it might save you from a lot of unnecessary hardship and heartache. So I will get off that one. I don't know if you agree, but that is definitely what my personal and professional experience has shown me up until this point in my life. Yeah, on that? absolutely. I, I have a brilliant story for this one. Sure. So um, there's this thing, this conversation we had at the beginning where I was like, oh, you know, he's only texting me once a day when he's at work. I'm so infuriated by this because my last love bombing relationship was an every 15 minutes text. It was a bit of a jump. Um, and he was saying, you know, well, I, I work. I don't I only check my phone at, at breaks at lunchtime. And then me, so I'm just letting you into a woman's mind for a moment. Me mm -hmm. who thinks about this new relationship every second of the day is like, well, surely if he was thinking about me, he'd, he'd make an excuse to go and check his phone. He'd go to the toilet to find his phone because he's thinking about me. But that's not how men think. That's how women think or anxiously attached people think. That's not how they think. And that's just how men are. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I learned that from the fabulous book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which I just think <laughs> is, is a must read for um, everyone trying to navigate the gender yeah. communication differences. But that was a really interesting one for me because I was like, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love me. It, this is just, that's just how he's thinking about his, his job. He's like, yeah, I'm just thinking about bricklaying and, <laughs> and listening to podcasts or whatever, you know, obviously not on his phone back then, but, um, sure. but yeah, it's, uh, it's just a funny assumption then that I made that I was like, well, if he loves me, he should, he would be texting me more often than this. No, he's got, he's, he's focused on his work. You know, just because I'm obsessed and thinking about him all day doesn't mean that he is as well. Correct. And I love that you said that, right? So you, you just basically very clearly articulated the assumption. And I think what's important to your point, we can, the beautiful thing I've learned in therapy and I try my best to do on my own is reframe a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. There's ways that we say things, right? And we don't always express them in the right way. We still need to express it and we still can, but there's usually a slightly better way to do it. So let's use the example you just gave. So I'm thinking, oh man, I'm so excited. I'm so happy that I'm in this relationship. I want to talk to him all the time. I wonder if he wants to talk as much as I do. And then let's say a week or so goes by and I'm like, you know, I noticed he doesn't like to talk as much. I wonder if it's something that is an issue with me or I wonder if it's just maybe it's more normal for him to not communicate like that. So the reframe to what you said, instead of, oh, I'm really anxious, I'm just going to sit here and like wonder if does he not like me because he's not talking to me all the time. Yeah. 
we need to have a conversation. So, sweetheart, I noticed that when it comes to like throughout the normal work day, I don't hear from you as much. And I just wanted to number one, ask like, is everything okay with us? Yeah, of course. Like, why, why do you ask? Well, you know, in a lot of my experience in previous relationships, if I didn't get a lot of contact, it made me think that maybe that person was, you know, with somebody else or they were losing interest. And it, it makes me a bit concerned if I see that type of behavior. What does that mean for you? Well, I usually don't have to communicate with that person as much because I know I'm going to see you later. So I'm not particularly worried about it. And unless it's barring an actual emergency, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not assuming the worst. I'm assuming and thinking that you're okay. And that if something is very pressing, you will let me know, but that I will see you later tonight or the next day, whatever our schedule and routine is. Oh, okay. So when you don't hear from me throughout the day, that doesn't bother you? No, not at all. Okay. I'll, I'll try to work on that. I'll try to make a mental note because I think it is a little difficult for me. I, I typically typically do expect and think that if I'm not hearing from the person often that there's something wrong. Yeah. Not at all. There's nothing wrong. And I can assure you that if there was, I would reach out to you and I would ask for us to talk. Okay? Okay. And that could be a different way of reframing that whole conversation. Yeah. yeah. Right? Instead of I hit with all the anxiousness and I'm filling in all these blanks and I'm jumping to all these conclusions. And now mm -hmm. again, my thought and my feeling <gasps> anxious is building up in my chest. Yeah. Oh my God. And then my behavior is, <gasps> are you then ready to leave me? Maybe I need to show up yeah. to your job. Maybe I'm going to blow your phone up. You know, all this, I'm calling your mom. Like, I'm doing all this stuff that is unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do any of that. But in my mind, I'm connecting all these dots because that's been my past experience. Yeah. So, the point of what we were saying was to possibly resolve that is we need to share more, but, but the way we share, of course, also matters. So I don't want to approach you from like an accusatory stance. Yeah. Were you doing something? Is that why you didn't call me all this time? Is that why you didn't respond to my text? Where were you for the last eight hours? Hmm. Right. Or in my past, I've had these experiences where if I didn't hear back often, it meant something was going wrong. So I'm naturally a bit concerned when I don't see that. What does that mean to you? Yeah. And allowing that person to give their own impression and experience of why they behave the way that they do. That is a perfect demonstration of why we want to communicate more and engage each other more because then we take away the opportunity to do the assuming. I let you have the floor to speak for yourself. I have to then accept and understand where you're coming from, whether I like it, whether I even agree with it or not. It's not the point. I have to offer you the opportunity to speak for yourself. Yeah. And then when you tell me, I need to take it at face value. If I'm not, if I'm not, maybe I don't need to be with anybody because that means that I'm not even willing to give you the benefit of the doubt and you can't have a relationship if all you're going to do is criticize the other person and mm -hmm. assume the worst about the other person, then you shouldn't be with anybody. You need to maybe do your own work. So you're ready to be in, in engaged in, in romance with another person. So I love that you brought up that example because I think it's important to show both sides. There's the side that this is the way I would typically respond. And maybe this is a way that I can do it where I can not make this person feel defensive or the yeah. need to be guarded. 
and allow them to just answer what I'm asking honestly. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can learn to compromise in other ways to help me feel more secure as we mm-hmm. continue forward. Is that somewhat hit on what you were describing yeah. in terms of like how you guys may have dealt with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I just, and it's, I think that people just don't have that conversation. Like they just skip that conversation. They just stick with their assumption and thing. And then what happens is that just sits there and gets, you know, bitter and resentful. And that just drags forward to three months later when there's a blow up argument and the actual root cause is I don't think you're communicating with me enough, you know, and oh, it's yeah. like all of that could have been avoided with that one conversation. Just say it how it is. Don't be afraid of him. He's not going to leave you if you just have this conversation. Correct. Correct. No, I couldn't agree more. And that's, you know, when we, when we, to your point earlier, like if we don't operate with that fear mindset and where if we feel secure enough in ourselves, we know what we deserve. I'm going to know that I'm going to approach this relationship with the best intentions. Hmm. And I'm going to truly put my best foot forward because I want this to work. If I didn't want it to work, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. But I also need to remember that when I'm trying to engage with this person, I'm trying to communicate with this person to allow them to have that space to speak openly. And it will be uncomfortable for a period of time. There will always be a certain level of discomfort because you're unsure of what the other person is going to say. That in and of itself should be the mental note and reminder. Then why are you assuming? Mm. I think a lot of times we avoid those conversations because we are unsure of what they're going to say. So then we try to fill in the blank of, I think this is what they're going to do. So then I'm already pre uh, prepping myself for what is going to come. What I suspect is going to come, not what I know is going to come because we're not fortune tellers here, but we will operate off all those assumptions. So, you know, again, rather than doing that, if we make it maybe more of a habit, I usually give the example, like set a time at least once a week to sit down, maybe like an hour or two, and just talk about your week. Talk about things that maybe didn't come up over the course of discussion when you were spending time together, whether you live together or you live separately so that you can create that normalcy. Because for example, we, maybe women feel similarly, but we typically don't like to hear the, we need to talk phrase because it typically has a negative connotation. It sounds like, man, she's about to rip me a new one or she's gonna (laughs) threaten to leave me or who knows what she's gonna say. And I would rather not. So I will come with every excuse in the book to not be there. Instead, if we create this sense of normalcy around, man, we sit down often and we, we talk, you know, Rebecca and I, we talk every Saturday, we, we do a walk around the park from like three to five and we just sort of chat about what we experienced for the week. And, you know, she lets me in on some things that maybe she didn't have time to, or I didn't have time to listen to. And I try to do the same for her. And when we do talk, it doesn't feel as frustrating or as intimidating that something bad is always going to happen. Sometimes we just have these conversations and we're just sharing and opening up. So it starts to almost destigmatize that phrase. Mm. When we do say we want to talk, we're like, oh no, I'm, I'm actually a little excited because she maybe is going to tell me something, some good things that happened to her. And I'm always excited to learn more about her and what her experiences are. I think that's a way that we can actually learn to benefit each other if we're willing to do that. But the problem I've seen from my clinical side is that a lot of times it takes us so long to your point earlier to get there. We're usually, yeah. we got like five, six laundry list issues that we haven't talked about. And it's like, you don't do this and then you don't do this and you made me feel like that. And then you made this assumption and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Mm-hmm. Like, what do you like? I don't even know where to start. You just hit me with six things from like the last nine months. Like, pick a thing. Like, we got to go one item at a time. You can't just be hitting me with all this stuff. And I'm not even mentally prepared to talk about that stuff that happened nine months ago. I don't even remember where I was at at that time. Like, yeah, that's the benefit of like, we need to talk about things sooner. Don't hold this for all this time and then be like, oh, yeah, and I'm going to talk about it right now and drop this bomb on you. I'm not even prepared. I don't even remember the context of what those discussions were to give you my perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we want to have like a shorter duration of time in between when we're discussing discussing issues that may exist in our relationship. So that way we can ultimately come to resolution and move forward. Mm-hmm. You know, not just sitting here finding reasons to argue and snipe at each other and just things that people would probably prefer not to have to deal with. Hopefully yeah. you hopefully you would agree with me there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So lastly, because we've have been touching on this already, but I, I'm gonna take it a little different position now because you brought up social media and you're probably more fluent in social media than I am, in all honesty. I'm I would definitely consider myself like a rookie. I, I, I only use it because I understand that it can be powerful in terms of engaging people who otherwise would not hear the message or not see you. And so that's why I'm trying to learn and get better at that. But you were mentioning earlier about the different perspectives people have, and sometimes they get it shaped based on what they consume yeah. on, on social media, right? And maybe it's relationships, maybe it's um, just how you see yourself, how you take care of yourself, things like that. And you were talking about the the feminists that maybe support, from your perspective, maybe they support or encourage more friction and tension to it, so to speak, between men and women. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, number one, where did that come from for you? Like, where did you see that? And then number two, how do you, in your own your own personal life, how do you try to balance that so that way, even if you see these things or you're consuming information about that, that you don't let it possibly taint your relationship with your partner? Yeah, that's... That's such an interesting question. I think social media, and I'm I'm really an advocate for it. A lot of people are like, oh, it's the worst thing ever, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For me, because I grew up like so isolated, I didn't have any social media till I was 18, um, Mm. which was way too late, if I'm honest, because I think if I had it before then, it would have been such a saving grace for me because some of my closest friends are people I've never actually met and I speak to virtually. I'm on there every day talking to um, just random people on my stories, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it's such a great place for me to go. And I curate who I follow. Like I'm I'm very, you know, people are like, oh, there's so much toxic stuff. I keep seeing models. So stop following them. Just unfollow them. Have that sense of discipline to be able to use social media properly by mm. following the people who educate you in a healthy way. And that can change over time. People can change over time. There's a recent um, holistic health follower who just started getting a bit angry with her posts. And I was like, I'm not getting a good feeling off this. We're going to, you know, that's that's a break for me and you for now. She doesn't know about it. You know, nobody cares. Um, But it's important that what I see on there, because I'm on there a lot, it's part of my job. um, I it's important that what I see on there is healthy to me and that is, is, is good for my brain. Now, when things that I call the, the, the feminists and the feminangrists um, mm-hmm. pop up, obviously there are specific accounts that dedicate their whole profiles to that kind of stuff. Um, 
I'd say I swear from a lot of them. I just avoid. Um, but some of them I do because I think it's interesting to get the viewpoint of where people are at and to, I think it's important for me to stay up to date with how people are feeling culturally in, and their approach to the world from a social perspective yeah. because I think very differently to a lot of people. So it's good for me to stay a little bit grounded in that sense and be mindful about what I post because, mm-hmm. you know, hate is one of those things you have to deal with when you're online. Um, when in the UK we get sort of the odd um, kidnapping or murder or rape, the so- social media goes absolutely mental, goes completely men-hating, and mm. it, it's really destructive. And I actually have to come off, every time that's happened, I've noticed like it gets me so worked up, I just come off social media completely um, for a few days because I just, I can't cope with it. Yeah. Um, because it becomes so negative. And it's the same with other big, massive... I don't watch the news, so um, it's important for me that I'm not overwhelmed with that. My mental capacity doesn't, and emotional capacity doesn't can't handle that very well. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I come off the site. And then I actually have conversations with Alex about it, about particularly the relationship women have with their attitude towards men now and we talk quite thoroughly about these kind of things and we try and have level conversations because obviously part of my heart is hurting that somebody's lost their life and part of me is hurting because it's resulted in anger rather than healing Mm -hmm. um so yeah for me it really is just a sense of withdrawal and I haven't necessarily found a way around that and I don't think it's gonna be helpful for me to suddenly start you know spouting out the opposite to everybody's feeling um but I do absolutely weave in I've got several posts on my Instagram that are specifically about the issues that men are facing and the attitude towards men I talk about on my stories every now and then um because it's I am you know it's important I have this very this very much approach with my Instagram now that if you don't like what I have to say don't follow it's so easy to do you have no excuse to sit there and you know hate all my content (laughs) just just go away I don't care it doesn't make a difference I literally don't have notifications on anywhere on my phone I don't know when someone follows me when someone unfollows me it doesn't interest me um I just yeah I guess that's that's sort of how I feel about it is very much okay. from a sense of self-discipline. I think you have to be like that now with technology. Otherwise it can yeah. just consume you. Yes. No, I, I couldn't agree more, especially in that last part. Um, yeah. I, I have to say, I, I find it very interesting that it seems to be, and I don't think this is necessarily a male woman, man, woman thing. Um, just when you hear things that you don't agree with, this idea that you know they just shouldn't exist mm. i actually think this is just my opinion um i don't mind hearing opposing viewpoints on virtually anything and i think it it, it leads to interesting conversations uh, because i think it's important to hear again viewpoints that maybe are not your own i think we can all learn from each other it's not based on your age your ethnic background where you grew up you know, those kind of things. I think you can learn a lot from each other, but we have to be willing to listen. Even when we can vehemently disagree on certain things. Yeah. Um, but to your point about sort of taking that time away, I'm a very big believer in that. I've had, I have clients that at times struggle with the abundance of information that one can consume and mm. might feel overwhelmed. And so I am usually a very big advocate to say, 
And I like the word you use too, because I say that too. I talk about a lot about emotional and mental capacity. Yeah. You only have so much of it each day, right? And you got to replenish it through your good coping. If you have good coping, you'll replenish it so you can tolerate more the next, you know, the next following days. My coping's not good, probably not. And so it's important for me to understand that I have limits to how much I can take. So for example, it might say, there's several issues going on in the world. I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of causes that I care about, but I have to also understand I'm not going to be able to equally care about all of them. It's mm. not a bad thing to say that. And yeah. I would say that because you matter, you're the most important person in your story, mm -hmm. and we need you to be here. If you get so overwhelmed by all these different things that you're consuming and you're inundating yeah. yourself with, you might become hopeless, yeah. cynical, apathetic. All these different negative terms that I would say sort of take you out of the fight. If you want to see change, I always talk about being the change that you want to see, then you need to be able to be engaged. You need to be able to have good emotional and mood regulation. You got to have emotional capacity to see some heinous things happening and not always fall apart because of yeah. it or run from the fight or not want it to engage, to try to yeah. be a part of that change. But it's also okay at the same time to say, I'm not going to be in every single fight. I'm not going to be arguing against every single person that has an opposing viewpoint for me. Why? Because yeah. I got to also take care of myself. Yeah. If I'm going to have proper self-care, which I haven't, surprisingly, this is the first time I've said it in this entire interview. If I'm going to have proper self-care, I got to know my limits. I got to have boundaries, as you said. So I need to understand, hey, if I need to take a break, I need to take a break. And mm -hmm. that's healthy. If I cannot have notifications on, then maybe I don't need to have them on because it keeps me from checking my phone every five seconds. Then I think that that's healthy. Um, going back to your point, though, about the way people perceive us and maybe engage in these these conversations, let's say in bad faith, if it's the femi feminine angerous, is that how you said it? Yeah. The feminine <laughs> angerous. Um, to me, I would look at it and say, anytime we're engaging in a conversation with anybody, like we want to do it in good faith, meaning... I'm going to genuinely believe that you want us to understand and learn about each other. Not that you're trying to hit me with a bunch of talking points or you're trying to deceive me. You're trying to deceive yeah. the audience, what have you. I genuinely want to learn about you. We can still have opposing views. We can still disagree, but I want to learn about you. And I will say, I think that we are in a very interesting time where it seems like while we, again, support and encourage women's rights, women's empowerment, I will be the first to to say that I support that. I do think it, right now it seems like it's coming at a cost. And maybe yeah. the cost is our ability to coexist peacefully. Yeah. Because yeah. May, maybe we're looking at each other in oppositional way instead of trying to figure out ways to work more smartly together. Mm -hmm. Not again, not a kumbaya that we agree with everything. That's not real for any people, any society, any country. That just doesn't happen. There's never a perfect harmony. But it can probably, we can do a bit better than what we are doing today. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would definitely agree with you there. I, again, I'm not online on those things as much, so I don't see it as much, but I will say I do hear a lot about the men online and their reactions to what they say that they experience and they see. And I do hear a lot about men feeling like they aren't needed hmm. and that, um, Maybe in some cases that we're not desired, that yeah. we, we, you know, we, we're sort of disposable. And 
I don't, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't want either of us to feel that we are not needed, desired, or it would benefit us and our societies at large to coexist much more peacefully and collaboratively. But I think we're at this interesting inflection point where I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out. You know, there's been a lot of social dynamics that have happened with like the Me Too movement and, and, and women being believed for different experiences that they've had. And again, I support those things in terms of we need to have those things be looked into to determine if somebody's being wrong, we need to make sure we have justice for that person. But what we also don't want at the same time, though, is we don't want to demonize people just because seemingly we feel like a minor infraction or we feel like we were somewhat slightly mistreated. Those things are going to happen. And I'm not saying it like we should uh, wipe our hands of those like it's no big deal. But I think there's a lot of conflation of those things. I had a, I had maybe a, a slightly uh, inopportune experience or this didn't go exactly the way I wanted. And I feel like I, um, this person took advantage of me and they used me or they abused me and things like that. Like that language feels very inflammatory at times. Mm. And so I think we can do a better job of really distinguishing between these different examples that I'm hearing from other men, really, in all transparency. It's not a lot of women that I hear because I don't like follow a bunch of women's. So I don't know what you all may talk about. But listening to you say that does give a little more confirmation to what I've heard the men say, Yeah, that they feel largely attacked. And, um, you know, this, po- this podcast and this platform is not necessarily about, you know, any opposing group. Like, I don't support that at all. I wa- again, I want us to work together. Mm. So I hear a lot of miscommunication. That's my point. I hear a huge yeah. breakdown in communicating what we really want, what we really need. And I think we need to we need to do a better job of really articulating what it is that we're looking for, our expectations. And yeah. then how can we find a way to come more to resolution to better understand each other and then have a better function between each other. So that I think is one of those areas when it comes maybe to social media for an individual, whether male or female, that we do a better job of understanding our limits and our boundaries so we don't take on so much that maybe we end up, uh, I would say, personifying a persona, becoming this thing that people are saying, like, it is like this. So you end up just becoming that person. And it's not the crazy thing sometimes is it's not even your lived experience. Like somebody else is telling you that and you're you just sort of take it on, take on the mantle as if it happened to me. So this is why you should do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And not because somebody else said that and you might look up to them, but you didn't have your own experience to confirm or deny whether that might have been accurate. Yeah. You know, so I think that we got to do maybe a better job of, again, being very curious. I like using that word because there's no inherent negative attitude towards it. If I just ask you more questions and I genuinely, again, genuinely want to understand I think we'll have much more productive dialogue yeah. and less trying to find ways to maybe find clickbait or trying to catch somebody and, and, and uh, expose them to a certain degree. I don't think that's good for us as a people, as a society, as a world. Mm. So I think we need to do a better job of that. So <sighs> that's a heavy one, though. That's a hard one to I appreciate you bringing it up. But it's a, it's a hard one to navigate because obviously it's not within my control or your control. Yeah. We, we can only do what we can. Yeah. yeah. But 
I like I like the fact that you're using your platform to try to speak to the other side as well. Not that you need to like ride for men and only think about men's perspective, but I like that you at least care enough to ask the questions and and try to be supportive in ways that align with your values. Yeah. I think that that's important. And I will I would definitely say that I will do my best to do the same for yeah. for both sides. And essentially, that's it. So is there anything that you think that we we should anything else we should know about you or maybe some of the things that maybe you have going on in the future that we can support or be curious about? Yeah, sure. So most of my stuff is my it's through my social media, which is Instagram. It's at Rebecca Allen with four A's in between. Um, I do a bit of TikTok. I'm just silly on there. I do a little bit of YouTube. Haven't done that much in ages. And I'm a yoga teacher, so I'm launching an app um, this year, hopefully. It was supposed to be last year, and I still haven't got around to it, so <laughs> fingers crossed this year, which is going to be everything, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and then the psychological stuff. So I'm an NLP coach. Um, mm. I do a lot of polarity work, attachment theory, loads of little sort of uh, information bites like that. So it's going to be a very universal space. Um, and eventually I'm going to go into sex and relationship coaching as well. So, uh, one to watch probably I am. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, no, that's awesome. I actually like that last part too. To me, let me see if I can try to reframe that in a way that you might agree with. To me, that is essentially the last thing you said about wanting to be a sex coach or maybe a sex and intimacy coach. I think about maybe taking the culmination of all that trauma and all that experience that you had very early on and then up until the later years of your life. And trying to find a way to utilize that in a more productive way, maybe with couples who yeah. are trying to strengthen their bonds with each other. Is that, yeah, is that a fair way to, to exemplify what you're looking for? Yeah, I, I just think, you know, I haven't gone through everything I've been through just to go through everything I've been through. You know, it's uh, all meant for for a reason. Uh, it's so cliche and horrible when people say that, but um, <laughs> it, it has been... It's been a ride and it would be a waste if I didn't make use of everything I've learned from it. So hundred percent. No, I respect, I respect that. I, I say that a lot, even in my own life. And that's why I was talking earlier about with parents, because you, you have all these lived experience. It's not that we all have the same experience, but some things are pretty similar. And mm-hmm. if you can learn from somebody else, like I always try to talk about vicarious learning, like you have an experience that, you know, the experiences that you've shared with us, I've shared some as well. If somebody hasn't had those experiences yet and they can learn from it and maybe avoid some of the pain that maybe I have dealt with, that you have dealt with, that others have dealt with, I consider that success, right? So yeah. learning from somebody else's challenges, you can't avoid everything, but when mm-hmm. you can, to me, that's a wise thing to do. But that yeah. also requires people like myself or like you to be honest and actually be willing to put that stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Right. So to your point, I 100% agree. The more that we are willing to share and be open and honest about, of course, the successes and things that have gone well, but also the things that have not gone well and the things that we've had to endure and learn to deal with and learn to manage better. Yeah. The more that we can do that, I think we can create more peace and harmony for other people who have not yet had those experiences and they might be able to tremendously benefit from some of the growth that we have had to endure on our own. Mm-hmm. And as a person, just me as an individual, I find that to be like the highest calling. Yeah. If, if we can share and express more of that and more people have less pain in their lives, 
maybe we can genuinely be a happier society. Yeah. But it requires us, those of us that go through things, which we all do, to be able to share them, even if you just do it with like your immediate circle, even if it's just your family, if it's just your friends. To me, it's about setting the tone. You can set the precedent so people can get used to that and be like, well, you know, Rebecca always talks about her stuff online. I don't necessarily want to do that, but she does empower me to make sure I'm talking to my friends or my yeah. child or my family. So I'm going to try to do something similar. And yeah. then that might inspire somebody else to do something similar. So yeah. I think it starts with us if we want to change things, you know, better for the next generation. But it's important for us to be willing to go there. And so I say all that to say, I really appreciate you for being here because you put a lot of yourself out there. I'm sure there's still so much more that I don't know. But I did warn you. <laughs> no, no, you did. No, you did. You did. No, but it's it, but it's good though. It's it's genuinely good. I can't tell you how much I genuinely enjoy hearing people's stories. And even even though there you know, you've had some darker moments in your past, like many of us do, I think it's important to also see the other side that you've gone through so much of that, and yet you are you've done a lot of the work necessary to be in the position that you're in today. Now mm. I'm certain if we could shape, reshape your life and take those parts out, I would say for me, I would gladly take those out of your life. So that way you could still get to where you are, but not have to have a lot of that darkness. But I'm a big believer in when you learn to be resilient, you learn to deal with that adversity that I got knocked down and had to deal with all this stuff, but I didn't let it defeat me. Mm. Now that's hard because sometimes, you know, being defeated is a real thing. Failing is a real thing. Being depressed is a real thing. Being anxious is a real thing. But I want to learn how to navigate and manage it better so that I don't have to have this perpetual state of despair for the rest of my life. Because that's yeah. not, at that point, it's not living. I'm just sort of like existing survival-ish mode. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want that for anybody. So it's so powerful that you laid out a lot of what you shared. And I'm very, very excited that it seems like you're becoming in a much better position now moving forward. Just human to human. I like hearing stories like that because you don't mm -hmm. always get to hear that things got better. So when yeah. they do, even through all that stuff, it to me, it's to be celebrated. So again, thank you for being here. And um, I hope that when you get all these things going, and possibly when you blow up even more and, and you, you touch more people in different ways that we can exchange again and we can have these types of discussions and hopefully encourage others to do their own work, learn from their own experiences and the experiences of others so we can lead better and healthier lives like yeah. across the board. Any final words or thoughts for you? Just thank you for having me. <laughs>